It's been over a year now since In The Key Of Q launched. In our archive, you can find over 50 interviews of queer musicians from around the world and hear their music from rap Unaware of my proclivities to self-sabotage to country soul and rock. These episodes are available on the main feed. You can access them via the website at inthekeyofq.com or wherever you normally listen to podcasts. This is Dan here. Thanks for downloading this episode. Many thanks to our listeners who are financially supporting the podcast over at patreon.com slash inthekeyofq. You are genuinely helping to keep the series in production and more importantly to give a space for queer voices to be heard. And a special thanks to long-term pod supporters Guy Ford Kelsey, Johnny Carey and Craig Broadley. Share your thoughts about today's episode, the pods on social media at In The Key Of Q or email me direct on podcast at inthekeyofq.com. And if you've a moment, please subscribe, rate and review the show on your podcast provider. Please be aware that this episode contains discussion about suicide, religious-inspired psychological abuse and drug addiction. Support links can be found in the show notes. All that's left to say is enjoy the episode. It's not about like, can I do it? It's like, do I have the ability to try to do it? Uh, And it's like, it's so stupid, but it totally is mind over matter. Hello, I'm Dan Hall. When I grew up, I never heard pop songs where men sang about other men, and it made me feel invisible. But these days, there are plenty of songs where men sing about other men, and we can find them in every single style imaginable. This podcast is all about finding and sharing this music and speaking with the musicians that create it. Music helps us feel connected, feel heard, and know that we are not alone on our queer journey. You're listening to In The Key Of Q. This week's guest released his debut EP, I Feel Like I Just Woke Up in late 2019. This was followed up this year by the album, I Hope You're Home. A big welcome, please, to Emmett Michael. Emmett, hello. Hello, how's it going? So long, farewell, goodbye I've got a war still left to fight Tooth and nail like for an eye Flow's revenge, you've got it right My 15-year-old self was very much the same as me, but also very different. And I think that's just because I felt so compelled to hide who I truly was. And obviously that... Um, has an effect on a, on a young person uh, who is just developing their personality and just discovering who they are. And uh, so I would say that my 15-year-old self was very uh, confused and afraid, uh, but really desperate to be known and to be loved. Um, I am female to male transgender. So at the time, I would have still been identifying as female. I didn't come out until a few years after. And I think um, given growing up in a, in a very conservative Christian community, I didn't really have the language to understand even what transgender was. I was like a chameleon. I was just trying to be whatever I perceived that I should be based on what other people thought of me. My drug addiction started uh, when I entered into high school um, because I grew up in such a small uh, religious community. I was very, very socially awkward. Um, And I had gone from 
kindergarten to grade nine going to a Christian school, to a high school that was an art school. Uh, it was very diverse, um, which was very relieving, but also very daunting. And I had no idea how to make friends. And I realized really quickly that the easiest way to fit in was to drink and smoke weed. And uh, that went on for a bit. And I ended up getting expelled from school. And that quickly turned into waiting outside the liquor store every day for a boot. Uh, and then leaving home uh, and couch surfing so that uh, I could get away with whatever I wanted to. And, and how uh, old are you at this point? I would have been oof, 16, freshly 16. I quickly went from just drinking and smoking weed to regularly doing hard drugs. And uh, I didn't discriminate as far as drugs went. Um, I was happy to take whatever made me feel totally outside of myself. And um, yeah, that went on for a couple of years until uh, I was arrested. And uh, I was faced with the decision to either um, have something on my record forever or go to treatment and have my record wiped clean. So I opted for that one. And um, when people are not seeing you as you are, um, like it's one thing to be able to fit into a group of people, but it doesn't really mean anything if you don't actually uh, fit in because you are as um, who you were meant to be. Um, and I think that that was a really difficult thing for me and it played a really big role in why I struggled so hard to cope. I left rehab and tried to kind of integrate back into the normal things again and went to high school again and things went well for a few months and then I relapsed and then I was clean for a year and a half and then I relapsed and I was clean for a year and a half and then I relapsed and then I was clean for a year and a half and um, that leads me to kind of the point that I'm at now and uh, I've sort of had a very up and down experience with recovery and for a long time I went to 12-step meetings, and that was really great for a time, actually. Um, but I just realized it wasn't really for me. It wasn't something that uh, I felt would fit for a lifetime. Um, and I remember being at a show and just deciding that it would probably be okay for me to have a beer. I felt a lot of shame around that for a while, being a part of communities that were heavily abstinence-based. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I just, I don't believe you can paint everybody with the same brush. Uh, and so I had to kind of find where I fit and decide that I was no longer, you know, ashamed and that that decision is very personal uh, and it's not for anybody else to judge. Uh, as long as I'm happy and healthy and safe, uh, that's really all that matters. I certainly think, goodness me, I've had a, sometimes had a hard day at work and come back and I've had two large glasses of wine. That's coming back and needing to do something. That's kind of an addiction. I've had low self-esteem and thought, right, I need to go and try and find some attractive men on Grindr to have sex with to boost my self-esteem. That's an addiction. And it's an addiction because it's using something for the wrong purposes. Yes. Yeah. And oh, yeah, the list goes on, right? It, sex, social media, relationships everybody is is using uh, or, or using a coping method to um, suppress or deal with something entirely different. Everybody's got a unique experience. Uh, a couple of years ago, I decided to um, go to a 
Christian conference and it had been like a few years. I had avoided the church altogether for very good reason. And, uh, I didn't really feel like that was a space that I was welcome in and I didn't really want to approach a space that I didn't feel that I would be welcomed into. Um, but I decided that that was important to me at the time. And so I decided to go and things were pretty well okay for the first bit of the weekend. And then at the very end, um, this man gets on stage and he's preaching a sermon and uh, he just starts saying all the things that I was afraid to hear. And he's talking about all of the people who won't inherit the kingdom of God. And he's going on about the homosexuals, right? And uh, I just, in that moment, felt this overwhelming sense of, I do not belong here. Uh, especially just like looking around and seeing this crowd of faces, everybody nodding simultaneously in agreement with this guy and um, hands up in, in worship and uh, just like the fact that hun like hundreds of people around me um, could be totally unaffected by this message, which excluded several groups of people. Um, it was just so heartbreaking to me. And I felt so disconnected from everyone around me in that moment that all of the feelings that I had felt of that, like not feeling connected to others sort of resurfaced all in that moment. Uh, all of these feelings that I had suppressed for a really long time. And I remember just falling into my partner's arms and sobbing and over and over again, just saying, why? And just like being totally inconsolable. That's like, I, I can count on one hand the amount of times that I've like cried like that. God, don't make mistakes. It's no mistake that I was made. And you don't know what you don't know. All our hearts are God-shaped whole I'm so far from perfect Still don't admit my own defeat And my doubts, my greatest defect All my fears uh, nobody talked about like sex or sexuality in detail, but really the only information that we had was like what homosexuality was. That was the word that they used to. That was the only word that they used for LGBTQ identities. So I didn't understand like the different degrees and spectrums and all of the things that go with that. Uh, I just knew that like same sex attraction was sin. Uh, and so because people in the church don't have those personal relationships with people who are openly queer and they don't see people openly living their lives in a healthy way um, while being queer. Uh, I, I think it's very easy for people to just view uh, those things as issues rather than human beings. Uh, that was really confusing for me because in my heart, I was like, I, I know I am a well-intentioned and good person, but I, I have an, an attraction to, uh, at the time, you know, I was identifying as female. So I, I had an attraction to another girl. And that was sort of the first realization that I was like, I'm different. Praying for the strength to love.
from the time that I was a little kid, I always wanted to uh, hang out with the boys and do the typical boy things. And whenever I had dreams, I was a, a boy in my dreams and I was very aware of that. And um, I, in role playing games, I always wanted to play like a male role um, when we were playing like at recess or whatever. I was always the boyfriend or the dad or the brother. And um, at the time, like as a kid, nobody really questioned it. They were just like, oh, she's a tomboy. And that was the word that I adopted to describe myself because I didn't have an, another word. And that like tomboy didn't quite fit for me. Like it wasn't quite there, but at least I had a label that I could apply that made me feel like I could understand myself a little bit better. But I remember saying all the time, like, I wish I was a boy and people just being like, oh, haha, that's cute, whatever. Um, but like, as I got older, just really starting to feel like devastated that I was that I wasn't a boy. And it wasn't that I wanted to be a boy. I just was. Uh, and I didn't know that at the time because I didn't know that people could transition. And so as you can imagine, being a kid, especially in such a, a small bubble, uh, that was a, a really weird time. <laughs> people often, it seems to me, feel that your existence or one's existence is about is not about how you feel or what you want, but how they perceive you. And I have mm. a huge problem with that because yep. it feels like it steals from me my own identity. Mm -hmm. I don't like this, so therefore you can't be it. And you think, well, surely my identity is about how I feel. Exactly. And what I'm doing, not yes. how you feel. Very often people will DM me on Instagram and um, do the whole, here's the Bible verses that say that what you're doing is bad and all the things, all the homophobic and transphobic things. And I will spend an hour or two arguing my point and why my existence is valid and how they're causing harm. And uh, I do think that, you know, sometimes that that can have its place in the right scenario. But in the case where somebody is just DMing me and they're a complete stranger, um, that's not a battle that I can win. And at that point, it's it's um, really taxing on me mentally to try and convert somebody uh, who's very dead set, clearly. Like if they're if they're looking up the hashtag queer just so that they can like pop into somebody's DMs and tell them that what they're doing is bad, they're not the kind of people that are willing to listen. And so I've decided that I am willing to have those conversations, difficult conversations with people who are eager to learn, willing to listen, and who have empathy. As an artist, to what extent do you feel responsible for being a flag bearer, be it transition, yep. to male, be it queer, be it a Canadian, be it, do you feel as an artist a responsibility to, to those points and to represent them in a certain way? Or is ultimately mm -hmm. your job purely to say, this is my truth? I used to feel like I was responsible for being like the perfect trans artist and to talk about trans activism all the time and to always talk about my transition in great detail. And also for me, like another really huge thing was, um, I wrote like initially at the beginning of my career, I wrote a lot of songs and performed a lot of songs about uh, my addiction and recovery. And I felt a lot of pressure to be like a good recovered addict and to, you know, check all the boxes and go to the 12 step meetings and do all of the right uh, things and do recovery the right way. And that has since shifted quite a bit. And I think that 
that like gender identity sits on a spectrum and there's no size or there's no such thing as a one size fits all recovery program. And, you know, some people, uh, need to be abstinent. Some people can use harm reduction and that's cool. And that's like been something that has shifted for me quite a bit. And I didn't have grace for myself because I was like, I feel like I have to hold this image that I am perfect and I, I never use substances and um, that was just not the case. And I, like I had reintroduced, um, the use of legal substances again into my life and kept it a secret for a year because I was afraid that my audience would judge me. And that's just one example, right? Like my transness, um, is another example of that as well, uh, where I feel like that always has to be the topic of conversation and I have to be the perfect person so that people like trans people. And, uh, just in the last couple of years, I've just, uh, decided the most important thing for me and something that I've admired most about the artists that I have come to love is they're just themselves, uh, and they're not perfect. Uh, I'm getting really comfortable with just saying, you know, I don't know. Uh, rather than trying to formulate this perfect, especially in interviews, uh, this perfect answer, fuck it, I'm just gonna be me and um, people will resonate with that. And if there are people who don't, then, you know, uh, they're not my people and that's okay. I don't need everybody to like me. I'm so scared of my own shadow Cause he looks so much like me I keep turning all the lights out Close my eyes and try to sleep Try to color in the lines now Watercolor always bleeds As all the critics whisper about how Abstract always looks so cheap One day I feel far away Next I'm feeling so close I've always been um, drawn to art in and of itself. I, I did a lot of, when I was younger, uh, I did a lot of writing. Uh, I tried to make movies, uh, with my dad's shitty old video camera. Um, I was always writing like quote unquote books. <laughs> I would fill up journals with like, um, fan fiction, star Wars, like makeshift just ridiculous things. And, and I wrote a lot of poetry. I was just really big on writing. And then as I got older, I was really interested in learning to play the guitar. And, um, from the get go, that was a way that I felt that I could express myself, uh, where I, I would had failed to be able to do so in other ways. And I recognized that at an early age. Um, but it wasn't until, uh, a few years into my teens where, um, it was something that I really relied on quite heavily uh, and quite consciously. I went to rehab uh, shortly after getting arrested when I was 17 years old. 
And uh, at that point, it had been a couple of years since I really even touched a guitar or wrote a song um, because drugs took that away from me. And I was in treatment and I had a guitar there and I just started to kind of to kind of play around with that again. And uh, all of the emotions that I'd suppressed uh, came flooding back in and I was like, what the hell do I do with all of, with all of this? And I just started writing songs again uh, for the first time in years. And the, it was the first time that I was really writing them um, seriously and with the intent of expressing them. Because I think I was so sick of not being myself and because um, it was also in rehab that I finally came out as trans. And so that all sort of happened at once. And music was really, songwriting and sharing those songs was really the way that I was able to do that uh, successfully. How did it feel as a, as a relatively young person still? You know, you're only a teenager, albeit a late teenager, with a massive amount to deal with. How, how does that feel? I actually remember being like, the happiest that I had ever been in a really long time when I was there. Uh, and I think it's because I, I was just able to be who I was and like drugs, like for many people, uh, it is a symptom of a problem that you are not dealing with. And for me, that, that problem was like, I wasn't being true to who I was. And so once I was in a space where I was allowed to do that, uh, everything changed. I went to straight from rehab. I went to a new high school because I thought it would be smart to kind of start fresh. And, uh, I didn't tell anybody that I was trans. I just identified as a boy and hoped that nobody would find out. And for the most part that went okay. There were a couple hiccups, uh, as per usual. And, um, yeah, it was just kind of like a really weird time. And, uh, when I think about it now, like being at that new high school, I felt a lot of fear constantly of like being found out, but in a very different way. Um, yeah, because like, even if you are living your truth, you still fear that people won't accept you for it. So that it's like a, a very different fear, but it's still scary. You don't come out and then it's over. It's like a whole process and it might get easier because I learn to adapt to it and to deal with it better. Um, and I don't care as much about what other people think, but because I'm an, I'm a normal human being with normal human feelings, those are still things that are, are going to be difficult sometimes. And, um, everybody in their own way struggles with that, with like, like changing the way that they are, um, in order to fit in or to be liked. Uh, I think that that's something that we all experience across the board. Because certainly for me, even at 48, I have to be really aware of not people pleasing and not, and not still just going along with things, even if I don't want to, because I still, a little bit of me still is that 10 year old wanting to be liked because I feel like I don't fit in. It's very difficult for me to go a whole day without thinking, um, especially I think with social media, that's a really tough one. Cause I really want to be, uh, authentic and to be myself. But there's always that, like, before you post something, like, oh, but is somebody going to think this? Or um, what is somebody going to think about this? Uh, and, and it's hard to not let that get into your head, no matter, uh, you know, how many self-help books you read or how good your therapist is. Those are all things that are going to, to still be in your head. And sometimes I do get to a point where I just, like, 
I hit breaking point and I have I have my kind of fall apart session and then I'm back in a place where I kind of ride the high again and I'm like I don't give a fuck about what people think and you know uh I, I love myself and I don't need anybody else to you know and all of that and I can genuinely believe that but then I fall into ruts again it is more than just um the music for me and that's a really that's a really huge thing for me right now is like who am I outside of being a musician? Um, and like, what do I want to be known for other than being a musician? Because it's very easy for that to become my whole identity. You know the next question. Uh-oh. <laughs> who are you outside being a musician? Hmm. I am... You know what? <laughs> okay. That is a... <laughs> that is a loaded question. So I, I, it's so funny because I could go on and on, but I also am tongue tied. Uh, it, it's like, I am a total nerd. Uh, I, I'm, <laughs> I am a believer. I am a huge doubter. Um, I am a gardener. I, I work full time for a gardening company as a supervisor. I've worked there for four years. It's one of the biggest commitments I've ever made in my life. Uh, I am um, a fiance to somebody, and um, and that is that is that the biggest commitment I've ever made in my life. I never thought that that would happen. I, I used to be able to ride a unicycle really, really well, and I wanted to be a juggler or a mu or a magician. Um, Sorry to interrupt you, but how does that happen? Because I see unicycles around here, and oddly yeah. enough, in my day job, I work you know fifty meters away from the school or university of circus skills, and yeah. so oh no way, <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. And so in <laughs> Hoxton in time. East London, yeah, that's and, great. And I, and I see these big unicycles and people on them. How, yeah. Can you tell me, how did you get up on it? And how, how? did you get down? Yeah. Well, uh, see, there's really no trick. I, the th it's like most things. So um, it's having the guts to just do it <laughs> um, and do it over and over again until you get it. And I hate it when people tell me that because I'm like, okay, but actually, like, how do you do it? And it yeah, really you're is. Like, that's, it that's is. really unhelpful yeah. no, suggestion. It's, <laughs> but it's true. It's totally true. It's totally a fear-based thing. Like, if you're not able to do something. Um, I, was, I was skateboarding the other day, actually. And uh, I used to skateboard a lot when I was younger. And it's something that I decided recently that I was going to take up again. It's like my goal to complete a certain amount of tricks by the end of the summer this year. And... Um, I just realized like a lot of me not landing the tricks uh, is that I'm afraid that I'll land on the skateboard and then I'll fall off, right? And that's the case for like a lot of things. Like you're just too afraid to try them or you, you, at the very last second, you'll uh, decide not to jump off the cliff into the water, or not to put your second foot on the skateboard because you're scared it'll fly out from under you. And it it's not about like, can I do it? It's like, do I have the ability to try to do it? Uh, and it's like, it's so stupid, but it totally is mind over matter. I think there's cynic in my blood. She still has the heart to choose me. After everything I've done. 
grace is always moving. Two thousand twenty-one has been a bit of a crazy year for yeah. pretty much everybody. Yeah, and you decided to write and release an album. I hope you're home. Yeah, I had to go back, uh, way back, um, to, to five years ago, uh, and and revisit those feelings and experiences, and carry that through uh, what whatever the last few years were uh, up to the point where it was as recent as a couple of weeks before I started recording it. Right. And uh, as I, who I am now, um, and all the things that make me who I am now, um, for, for me, I hope your home is also very much parallel to a friend of mine. Um, we met in a 12 step fellowship and he was also transgender um, obviously also struggled with an addiction and uh, we both struggled with the same mental illness and we had a lot in common and we bonded right away. We we liked a lot of the same music and um, he reminded me a lot of myself uh, when I was kind of really, really struggling uh, and, and in a really low place. And um, I actually became his sponsor uh, in the program, which is like a mentorship role. And so he told me everything uh, about his life and and we talked a lot about some really heavy things. And uh, a lot of the things that he had experienced were parallel to the things that I had experienced. And uh, yeah, I just remember being totally like, whoa, it's crazy how much in common I have with this, with this person. And uh, about a year later, he ended up taking his own life. And uh, there is a song on the album, and it's the title track of the album. It's also, it's called I Hope You're Home. And uh, that whole song was about just hoping that wherever he is now, that he feels at home in his body in a way that I know that he couldn't while he was here. Uh, and so I just felt like that was like a really important um, parallel to draw to because you know like that was something that obviously really impacted me and uh it made me think about where i could have um the place that i could have ended up in uh and and almost did uh and and all of the things that i i had to do and um the things that um i encountered that allowed me to be able to move past that We are meant to share our burdens with other people. Um, we are relational beings. 
Um, we aren't meant to go through those things alone. If we open the door to allow people to share that burden, um, it also draws us closer and creates connections um, that then take away that that feeling of loneliness and desperation to get out. Um, and when I think about my friend, like I hadn't heard from him for a couple of months before um, that happened. And I just, you know, I, I wonder what would have happened if we had been able to have a, have a conversation. And uh, I don't think that he knew that I would have, um, I wouldn't have viewed him as a burden. I uh, would just appreciate. And that's the other thing too, is like a lot of people don't realize that when people come to them for support, um, people typically aren't like, oh, this is so annoying. Uh, I hate this. I don't want to um, support this person. Like if you can recount a time in your life where somebody came to you for support, it also makes the other person feel really good too because it makes, you, it makes them feel like they are trusted and it creates meaningful connections and bonds. And those are really, really important. And of course, the conversation doesn't have to make you better all it has to do is make you better enough. Yep. A lot of the time when I want to be supported, the best way to be supported is not for me to feel better. It's, it's for me to not feel alone. Emmett, can you tell us what your 15-year-old self would think of you now and the music that you're making? I feel like emotional thinking about it, actually, which I wasn't expecting. Um, I think 15-year-old me would be very pleasantly surprised. Um, I remember thinking at 15 years old that there was no way in hell I would make it past the age of 18. Um, I thought that I would have either ended my life, uh, overdosed from drugs. Um, I didn't know that I had the capacity to come out of hiding. And so to me, like that is the most, that was the most uh, challenging and the most rewarding feat was um, just being able to be myself. Emmett, for those in our audience who have the unfortunate condition of not knowing your <laughs> the terrible conditions very unfortunate exactly pull them of not yeah. having seen you live or mm. have not had a chance to listen to much of your music all of which of course is available on streaming platforms and we'll provide mm. links to them but to those audiences that don't know your music yet can you suggest what would be a good gateway drug to mm. uh, get them addicted to it yeah i think so um because basically, oh, we all, you know, nobody wants to go to M at 12 step. We just want to be properly addicted to stuff. Oh, no, okay. I don't want to go to M at abstination classes. We want to be totally oh. addicted. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, in that case, I can hook you up. I'm your guy. Um, <laughs> you're the yeah, best. So you're the best M at dealer <laughs> to M at content. Yeah, for sure. If you are unfamiliar with my music, I would most recommend listening to Early Sunday. It is the first track off of my new album, I Hope You're Home. 
And I feel like it really just kind of uh, wraps all the things up into one song and lays it out there. Got enough baggage to travel the world. I've caught a bad case of boy meets girl. You know the way by heart, there's no map to point me to. Destination. Anywhere with you Got enough trouble to bury the cars I drew enough lines on a coffee table to connect the dots So scared to talk, I don't want to leave a bruise on the sanctity Emmett Michael, thank you so, so much for being a guest here on In the Key of Q. It's been wonderful to have you. Thank you very much, Dan, for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure to be able to chat with you. And do make sure you stay in touch with us about live gigs when they kick off again and new content when it's released because we'd really, really all love to hear it. Yes, absolutely. And hopefully I get to uh, come out to your neck of the woods to play a show sometime soon. Oh, do come to London. Okay, I certainly will. There's a brilliant <laughs> music venue, a really respected one, very near where I live. That's a wonderful kind of ramshackle pub called The Windmill. Oh, that sounds great. Uh, and it's a great music venue. Uh, and it's just by a penitentiary as well. So, Oh, right up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> sounds great. Let's do it. <laughs> I thought by now. I might have it figured out The door from the ceiling My thoughts from my feelings The sun from the clouds And one day you might say to yourself This is crazy Trying to change all the right things Settling down in shades Many thanks for listening to this episode with Emmett Michael. And remember, there's exclusive content over at patreon.com slash in the key of Q. And there you can support the show for as little as five US dollars a month. Tell me what you think about today's episode with Emmett, the pods on social media at in the key of Q, or email me direct on podcast at in the key of Q.com. And rate and review the show on your podcast provider. It really, really helps. Our theme tune is by Paul Lee Nidu at unstoppablemonsters.com. And our publicist is Paul Smith at paulwsmith at gmail.com. Many thanks to Karjan Kantha and Murray Lang for their support in making this episode. The show is presented and produced by me, Dan Hall, and made at Pup Media Consultancy. I'll see you next Tuesday. Settling down in the chair.